Thank you, Greg. Appreciate that. All right, well, please stand with me as we read from Matthew's Gospel. We're in chapter 13 this morning. Finally made it into that chapter. There'll be quite a few messages from this one as well, as there's a lot to cover. Uh, it's a very interesting chapter. Uh, this is uh, one that Jesus really begins to break down the talking about what the kingdom of God is really like. And so we're going to read all the way down through verse 17. This doesn't encompass all that Jesus deals with right here, but it does encompass at least what we can get through today, and we'll see how far we get. Okay, so beginning at verse 1, that day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and large crowds gathered to him. So he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seeds, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, answered them To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he, shall, or what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Amen. All right, please be seated. I kind of hate to preface my statements at the beginning of my sermons all the time with the same thought, but it really is true in a lot of ways that we get to passages like this uh, and many of them, and wonder, what is the Lord really talking about here? Uh, or it's a very familiar passage, and you've heard it preached a lot of times if you've spent time in the Gospels. Uh, I do think that the Lord is showing us something very simple, uh, but yet very profound and very deep at the same time, and, and hopefully you see that. Now, because of the length of this this morning, and just to keep my mind wrapped around it in a way that has some sense or will make some sense, I've divided this up into various parts, and they all start with P, imagine that, uh, just because uh, that seemed to fit for me in my mind this week as I went through this. And so number one, we're going to look back at verse one, and we see the place, okay? So we get the setting from Matthew, as he's been doing all along our journey in the gospel. And you'll notice in verses one and two, I'm not going to read that again, but he tells us that this is where the event is occurring. And he says that day, very specifically unique to this occurrence, he's really just simply referring to the same day that his mother, Jesus's mother and brothers came to see him and we're looking for him. Now, we didn't spend a lot of time on that, but one of the things I think we need to know from that encounter just last week 
is that his brothers and mother were not coming because they were excited about all that was going on. They came because they were just the opposite. They were concerned about him. They still didn't believe, we're told. At least the brothers didn't. They would not know who Christ was until after his resurrection. Mary certainly knew that God was with her and in this and knew that he was God's anointed. But there was still that humanness about Mary that must have been a little bit concerned about what was happening. I mean, after all, he was going against the religious establishment. And so anytime one of your children goes against something that's established like the nation of Israel, basically speaking, you're going to be a little bit concerned. And so Matthew's just simply helping us to see it's on that same day that all of this emotional turmoil was going on. This, as I was mentioning earlier, kind of this roller coaster of emotions as people were seeing Jesus do amazing and wonderful, incredible things. And now his family shows up. But they're not there to do anything really but to rescue him from potential harm. And so you've got all of this mix going on. But Matthew then simply goes on and says that on that day he goes out of the house. And that house is simply referring to where he is. They're in Capernaum now, which is in that upper section of the Sea of Galilee, up in the northwestern area, if you will. And that's where we've been all this time. He has journeyed across the sea over to the region of the Gadarenes, but he's made his way back. And so a lot of this is occurring there. And that just gives you a little bit of an idea of where he is settled or where he is doing most of his early ministry from. And so Matthew tells us, though, as you just read, that he goes out now and sits by the Sea of Galilee. Now, maybe he's doing something like you and I would do, which is to go out and enjoy the sunshine and the beach and the beautiful scenery. Uh, But Jesus can't do that very long. And so he realizes the crowd is coming and he stands up and begins to address them, but not before getting into a boat. Now you say, well, why would he get into a boat? Well, that's probably the best place for him to get away from the people long enough to be able to address them. In the days where there were no amplification, like what I'm having on my ear that keeps irritating me all the time. Get it? Irritating. Um, Okay, you're a little slow, but you'll catch on. Okay. Just seeing if you're with me. Um, No amplification. And so to be out on the water, if you've ever been out on a canoe or a boat or some paddle thing, uh, you know that voices carry really well. And so it makes sense that Jesus would retreat into this particular spot so that people could hear him. Okay, so that gives us the place. Now let's talk about the plan here. And that is given to us in verse 3. Matthew just simply says, he spoke, to many, he spoke many things to them in parables. Now again, like with many of you, if you've been a student of Scripture, I don't have to explain to you what a parable is, but I will, because there's a simple meaning behind it, and that is it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's basically the best way to remember it. Jesus is trying to give them something through all of these things, and Matthew tells us there were many things that Jesus spoke to them. Now, we only have a couple thoughts right here, but evidently Jesus began to share many things with them, some of which the other gospel writers will pick up on. But Matthew just tells us this one in particular. And what he's doing here is trying to help the people to understand a particular point, similar to how you and I would give an illustration to someone whom we're trying to help them to see where we're coming from on a particular subject. And you understand that very well. Many years ago, when my wife and I were first married, I remember this vividly, she and I were invited to come to a marriage conference. I think it was in Roanoke at the time. 
Um, Marriage Encounter. I just remembered the name of it. I couldn't remember it earlier. Marriage Encounter was the name of it. Anybody been to one of those? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. And so if you remember in that, what they teach you is how to use illustrations to help the other one understand what you're really thinking and feeling. For, for example, you'd say, well, when you do this or you say that, I feel the way you do when this or that happens. And so the point is, you're trying to help the other person to really get inside your head and heart to really understand the depths of emotion that you're feeling over the particular situation. Now, we could make up something and say, you know, when you ask me to clean out the dishwasher, I mean, I kind of feel like you do when I ask you to go with me and chop wood. I mean, I don't know. You know, now, I'm letting you in on a little secret there, okay? So don't hold that against me. (laughs) Debbie will correct me later. (laughs) But you understand the picture. And so you can use that kind of thing anywhere. But Jesus is doing that. And this was a very common way of helping people to understand a particular meaning. But the interesting thing here in this setting is that as much as Jesus used parables, there's no meaning given here. You pick up on that? If you look at the text carefully, there's no clear teaching on what Jesus is saying. In other words, it's not like Jesus sits back and says, Okay, you get what I'm saying? Let me go through another one. Okay, well, here's what I really mean, which is what you would normally think, right? But he doesn't do that. And so this is somewhat of an odd situation here, which is to beg the question, why is he doing that? What what would be his purpose? Why in the world would he not want everybody to know what's going on? I mean, after all, he's the Lord. He has the message of salvation. And so... What's he doing? Well, some people might say, well, he, maybe he's playing games. But before we get into that, let's, let's look at the parable again. I do want to read this for us so you, you see it. Again, it's a very simple thing, but I think you'll get it. We'll explain some of it as we go. So he simply says, as he's in the boat teaching the people, a sower went out to sow. Okay, getting that mental image in my mind. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and birds came up and ate them. Okay? I can see that picture. Others fell on rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. Okay? But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. Others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, and it was a mighty crop. And then Jesus just simply says... If you got ears to hear, listen up. Now, if you have any landscape experience or just some basic yard work experience, and I know many of you have done this, or maybe even some farming background, and that'll even mean more to you. This will mean more to you than anybody. Um, you understand that as Jesus is picturing here, he's saying, it's like you're going out into the yard on a Saturday afternoon and you finally get some opportunity to take care of the things that you can't get to. One of which is the yard in this time of year especially is looking like a mess and you need to make sure that something comes up so that you have something else to do with your new lawnmower and and can actually give some credibility to why you spent the money on it and, and make a reasonable argument to your wife as to what you're really all about, right? So... 
Jesus says, as you throw the seed out on these bare spots, some of it falls beside the road. And in those days, Jesus' picture would be not like ours. The road would not be something out here or even a wagon road necessarily, but more so a path. And that's how people would get around. Those were literally the roads because people walked mostly. And so when people would cultivate the ground, it would be specifically beside a well-beaten path that they travel on foot. And so Jesus is simply saying some of that gets thrown out on the path. And because it's packed down under people's feet, under the traffic, if you will, it's not good. And so the guys who do come get it are those little creatures that have wings and they swoop down and say, thank you very much. I'm glad that this fell on this hard soil. And so it's going to be something that's not going to work for you. I remember case in point. Um, I learned this pretty well this last couple years. We had this tornado come through our backyard right here in Earliesville. And we lost five or six big trees. And uh, it took a long time to clean all that up. And I I wanted to make sure that the yard came back to the place that it was going to be. At least something that I could get out there and justify my expense on mowers and things like that, if you understand what I mean. Uh, Interesting how these things are very personal to me, aren't they? (laughs) Uh, But what I didn't do was what the instructions said on the bag of seed, which were pretty clear, which were you're supposed to cultivate it and, and get the earth moving like it's supposed to be an inch or so deep and then throw the seed out and, and then cover it over and everything will be great, right? I mean, that's what people like Bob do, who know what they're doing. Bob Young, if you want to know how to do this kind of thing, talk to him. Well, I just thought, hey, I'll just put it out there and I'll scratch it around a little bit. Well, it didn't take long for these little birds to go, hey, thanks, <laughs> got it. And they came down and they began to steal away. Now, Luke says in his part of this section in chapter 8, verse 5, he says, um, the people then also trample it down and make it useless. In other words, which is why in my case, the manufacturer says, after you sow the seed, don't walk on it for a while either. In other words, those of you who've had children and whatnot, and you've been out in your yard and you've done this kind of work, you're saying, don't get on, don't get on, the, don't get on that spot. I just planted seed right there. Because if you do, it's going to damage it. In fact, I can still hear my father when he would plant a garden say many times over, now watch out, watch, be careful where you put your feet. (laughs) You know, he just planted a row of whatever and I'm in there saying, hey dad, kind of thing. And he's going, go over in the grass (laughs) because he had spent a lot of time at it. Okay. So we get the picture, but Jesus doesn't stop there. He keeps elaborating. Notice in verse five. Some fell on rocky places where there wasn't much soil. And immediately, though, they sprang up. There was some soil there. It was just rocky underneath, but there was no depth to the soil. And so when the sun comes out and everything looks like it's going well, the sun is too much for it, and it just simply scorches it because there's no real depth of root there to go down into the soil. Meaning, and you understand this, in Palestine where Jesus was, it was very rocky. And so it was a challenge to get anything to grow there. And so sometimes things would do just as we said, and and it would grow up, but it just didn't have any ability to withstand the heat. But initially, and this is really Jesus' point in the parable, initially it looks really good. The growth is pretty amazing. It's fast. In fact, our son Nathan and I were talking about 
some seed that he had sown out in his yard where they're living. This was uh, last year or so. And uh, we kind of traded pictures of, of how cool it was. Our grass was beginning to grow. His was doing much better than mine. That's because he actually followed the directions. <laughs> And actually did the watering and all that kind of stuff. Okay, it's, it's just really kind of amazing how this works. You know, it's just you, you follow the directions and it, and it does what it's supposed to do. But then thirdly, now Jesus says some seed fell where there are thorns and briars, basically the thistle idea, meaning the soil had been tilled. It to the farmer was being prepared in the way that it really needed to be prepared. But the weeds evidently were so hardy that when the seeds began to grow, there was nothing for the seeds to be able to also attach to. In other words, the weeds began to choke out the other things. And again, very simple picture, right? There's nothing really difficult about this. For me, again, I have memories of, and, and I should say horrible memories, of being in the garden where my dad would again be working and say, hey, it's time to pull weeds, and uh, those of you who have been there know that that really means one thing for a child or a young person, and I was kind of a young boy at the time, not really a child, get down on your knees or bend over for a while and grab those things and pull them out because I've worked hard on that, and since you get to eat this stuff, I want you to help me out as much as I want you to. I was so excited, however, though, when Dad would get the weed killer and spray, or when he started using those funny things, Bob, you could tell me what it is, but it's like that little flat rake that you you scratch across the ground and just cuts the weeds out, you know what I'm talking about? And that just changed life for good for a lot of people, myself mainly. And so I would remind my dad, uh, dad, hey, you remember that little tool? Uh, hey, you can use it. <laughs> It'll be, be great, and I'll cheer for you, kind of thing. But then fourthly now, finally Jesus says, but then there's the good soil. Very clear picture here. And that's what verse 8 tells us. Uh, this is an amazing growth. It's good stuff. No birds to get the seeds. No rocks to keep the roots from growing. No weeds to choke them out. Only good crops. Okay. So like with any good storyteller, you can imagine that the people were just all ears at this point. I mean, probably one of those scenes I'm imagining where they're leaning forward a little bit, trying to get the full meaning. I mean, after all, Jesus has been doing these amazing things, right? He's been healing people. He's been casting demons out. He's been raising people from the dead and healing body parts and who knows what else. And so the people in the back of their minds are now beginning to hear Jesus give this parable and they're going, uh-huh, 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 and, 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 and. And he says, if you understand what I mean, have a nice day. <laughs> what? That's all we get? It's similar to saying, well, I hope you get something out of that. Go along. Go ahead. See ya. Goodbye. Well, it just befuddled them. And that's exactly what happened to the disciples. And so they ask him, what's the deal? Why aren't you telling people what's going on? And now we get to the purpose. So look at verse 11. Jesus said to them, just a, a profound statement here. To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Boy, doesn't that just send your head spinning? 
Then he follows it up by saying, For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Now, there's no question, and I don't really have to repeat that this for those of you who've been with us through all of this, is that the people understood and believed that there was a physical kingdom of God coming to the earth. They longed for the Messiah. They knew he was coming. And so this, this idea of the kingdom of God growing was not foreign to them. They understood this concept and this literal truth far better than you and I do. They had been made aware of this since the beginning of the nation. The prophets foretold the coming of the kingdom. And again, they longed for it, but what they didn't understand is that God had a different plan for the kingdom. It wasn't so much that, now understand in his divine workings, he knows all things, but because the people rejected him, Jesus, as the king who was literally in their presence, God then withheld the physical kingdom. You see, if Jesus had been accepted for who he was, the moment he came or in the time that he came, the literal kingdom of God would have been ushered right in. And the nation of Israel would have believed and and been blessed and all that had been foretold would have fully come true. But that's not what happened. The people didn't believe. And so God set aside his physical kingdom for a time. Now, God is going to be faithful to his promises, and he will fulfill all of that. But instead, in this case, God changed things, or at least what appears to be a change to us, and began to deal with people's hearts because he knew that's where the work really needed to be done. And what God did is he decreed, if you remember this from the beginning of time, really, and I'm going back to Genesis, God had decreed that man would be the temporary ruler over his kingdom. I'm going to take us a little deeper here now because I think this is important as we really understand when Jesus says, if you have ears to hear, then listen up. You remember back in Genesis 1.26, God said very clearly, let us make man in our image. And he didn't just make man in his image, but he gave him a purpose. He says right here, to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. In other words, every person who belongs to him, people who have surrendered their heart and soul to him, becomes a co-regent, if you will, or a temporary ruler under the Lord God over the earth. That's a pretty powerful thing. And just go back with me in your minds for a minute and you'll know this to be true. Think about the patriarchs. The people that God set up as the leaders over Israel. Think about the prophets and their messages. Think of the select men through whom God wrote his word. The whole purpose of that was so that you and I and all of mankind would have a foundation of God's truth so that we would know how to live in this life, right? That's the whole reason that God gave us his word. It reveals to us his very nature. It tells us who our God is. It tells us what his will is. It tells us what his plan is. It tells us what it really means to be 
truly moral and truly spiritual people and to live the standards that he has given to us to live, to understand the plan of redemption. God gave all of that to man, not to mention that he chose a certain people group that I've already talked about, Israel, to be the leading people as his people, to be the witness nation for the rest of the world, starting with Abraham. He was the one who the covenant promise first came through, at least as far as the nation goes, then on to Moses and to Joshua, later, as I've already mentioned, the prophets and the judges and the priests and the kings, all for the purpose of being a representative headship over his kingdom. But again, when his people chose to reject him, something had to change. And what God did in the immediate or inner intermarried uh, interim period is he raised up the church so between the promise of god to israel and the promise of his coming kingdom there was this disconnect for you and me as we see it in historical parameters and god created the church to be his representative people because his chosen people weren't doing it anymore do you follow what i'm saying israel had lost their way And that purpose of the church is just what it was originally in the Garden of Eden was for man to be his representative ruler to mediate his kingdom here on the earth. That's why you and I are a part of the church. That's what the church is. It is the body of Christ, right? He's the head. But we are the workings of him in this world, showing the world around us that is dark how we are to really live in his kingdom. And God provides for us as we do so. But sadly, and this becomes really the major point Jesus is talking about, throughout the ages, even the rule of man has been infiltrated by Satan. And everything that he's done, causing man to miss his purpose in life, the reason for his existence. And so you know the story, and I'm not talking about the Bible story, but you know the story of man. He goes out and he tries to make himself understand his existence in all kinds of crazy ways. What we see now in our current time period is one ungodly man, demonically controlled, and I'm saying that specifically and purposefully, thinking he can take over other men. And that's the way man operates outside of God in his darkened heart. But that was not God's plan. And so God set up the church. Well, go back with me even to Israel. It was the same thing when God made a people of a, of a people group out of his own choosing. But they weren't all of God's people either, really. And Paul makes that clear in Romans. Basically saying in Romans 9, listen, all the people who are of Israel are not of Israel. Well, what do you mean by that? That means that just because you're a part of the nation of Israel doesn't mean that you're actually a part of God's people who really become a part of his kingdom. You see, that's the biggest problem the Jews have is that they think, oh, because I'm a part of the kingdom of God, I'm a part of the, part of the chosen people of Israel, then I, I'm automatically got a shoe into the kingdom of heaven. I'm automatically there, but that's not true. And Paul was making that clear. And neither does anybody else. I mean, just because you say you follow Jesus and you say he is God doesn't necessarily mean that you're following from your heart. 
right? This is Jesus' point. My kingdom, to start all of this out in this chapter, is are people who have surrendered to me in their hearts. That's the distinction. In fact, in a few verses from now, Jesus is going to distinguish the group even further as we get to verse 38, for example, when he talks about the wheat and the tares. And we're going to talk about that today. We'll pick up on that later, if we ever get to it in this lifetime, in John chapter 15, he talks about the vine and the branches. And all of this is to help us to see that there are certain people who really are a part of the kingdom. And the point being is that those who are a part of his kingdom are the mediators, the rulers, the spiritual leaders, if you will, in that kingdom. But in order to be that, you have to be intentionally identified with him. Now, in the background of your mind, be thinking about the seed that's going out there as you're listening to this other part. You have to be willing to set yourself apart to be a part of the kingdom of God. Anything else is false, hypocritical. Jesus nailed the religious leaders for that very thing. You're a bunch of hypocrites because you say you're a part of the kingdom of God, but you don't have a clue what the kingdom of God really is all about. That's kind of how I hear Jesus saying it. Because really what he's saying is true kingdom citizens live first repentant lives. Have you heard that message going on? They live faithful lives. They live faith-filled lives. Not necessarily knowing what God is going to do next, but understanding that he is God. All of which is why, and I just bring this to a point here, is why Jesus started out this whole gospel message and his teaching with the Sermon on the Mount. You remember when we were back there 15, 20 years ago? He preached this message and he said, look, you want to know what my people look like? Here they are. Let me read them to you again. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's a heart issue. Blessed are those who mourn. That's talking about sin. That's a heart issue. Blessed are the gentle. That's a heart issue. Not just how you live your daily life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's a heart issue. Blessed are the merciful. That's a heart issue. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Blessed are people are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of things against you because of me. Why? Because your heart is for me. Which is why now Jesus says, coming back to the text in verse 11, to you, he looks at the disciples and he says, hey, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Why? Because you believe. At least 11 of them did. They had a good understanding. Oh, they were still growing. And yes, it's true. They wouldn't fully understand Jesus as God himself until after his resurrection. But Jesus is basically saying to him, you, and get this now, listen to Jesus' words carefully. You have been granted the truth. What does that tell you? Well, it tells me If you're asking me the same question, it tells me that God has a big role in all of this. You don't just determine one day that you're going to start believing. No, God in his divine mercy and grace has come to you in a way that only the spirit of God can work. And he said to you, hey, this is who I am. I want you to see this as truth. But he still demands a response. 
And so he's saying to the disciples, you're seeing this. You're watching the physical evidence of the kingdom of heaven on earth and you're believing. And I'm just simply telling you boys, listen, it was granted to you to believe. Pretty special, isn't it? Pretty special folks. But watch this. As Jesus continues in verse 12, for whoever has to him more shall be given. Isn't that interesting? And he will have an abundance for whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore, hey, you want to know why I speak to him in parables? That's why. Look what he says in verse 13. Because seeing they don't see. And while hearing they don't hear. And neither therefore do they understand. It's not given to them to understand. Really saying because people live in unbelief. They don't have salvation. We know that, right? Listen, if you're here this morning and you don't fully believe who God is, who Christ is from your heart, you're an unbeliever. And the tragedy of this is, as Jesus says this, is that even what little bit of light you do have will be taken away from you. Evidenced by many, many people over the years who saw him but still rejected him, making them further drift into the darkness, which is what the writer of the Hebrew letter will pick up on. In chapter 2, he says, For this reason we must pay close attention to what we've heard so that we don't drift away from it. You see, that constant warning is going out there. Listen, But it's the same message. The picture there in Hebrews is of two ships. One is a ship tied to a dock. It's safe. It's secure. It's being well cared for. It's doing what it's supposed to do. It's functioning as a ship. The other idea is a ship that has either lost its mooring or it's passed by the dock because it's set adrift and not paying attention. And so it becomes useless. And the message is just the same thing. The warning is be sure that you're securely tied to the gospel. Be sure that you fully understand who you say Jesus really is. You see, it was the message. That Jesus was giving the same message to the disciples, but he was simply saying, look, your mind is being opened up, but they still didn't really believe yet. And so he kept pushing them to understand and wanting them to understand. To us, he's saying, don't pass by the harbor of your salvation. Don't assume that you're okay if you've never fully surrendered your life to him. You've got to pay attention to everything. And I'm speaking spiritually. Everything in the Christian faith. If not, the message of the Lord is you'll grow in apathy. You know what apathy is? Whatever. I mean, good for you. It's not okay. I mean, I don't care really. Just You know, that, you know what I'm talking about? That's what he's saying. That, that's what darkness does. And then he says you'll be even in greater danger spiritually. Doesn't that help those of you that have been with us understand more clearly what he was talking about with the demon? Remember that from last week? A person has a demon. They're in unbelief. But for some reason their life is swept clean a little bit. But it's not really saved. It's not truly born again. And so other demons come in for making it far worse. Jesus is kind of saying the same thing here. Now, to finish this, and I'm not going to deal with this much, we got the prophecy here from Isaiah. And again, I'm not going to read that for the sake of our time. We just did earlier 
but the context is basically the same thing. Jesus is going backwards, picking up a historical account that the people would have understood. They would have known Hebrew history where the Jews were living in an ungodly way and so God sent them into captivity into Babylon a long time ago, long before this, hundreds of years before this, but they would have known the history. And so God sent Isaiah and the prophets to awaken them, but they refused to listen. Same thing. They've refused to turn to God for help. And because of that, God allowed them to go deeper and deeper in spiritual darkness. In their case, the only thing that was left was God's judgment, which was the captivity. So Jesus says, Israel as a nation, and I'm saying that specifically because there are some people who do see out of the nation of Israel. My father was one. God enlightened his heart. He became a believing Jewish person in Jesus Christ as his Savior. But as a nation, it still hasn't listened. In fact, the nation will go darker and darker in Jesus' day as Jesus has just proclaimed this. It's going to get darker, and it did because they killed him, right? That's pretty dark to kill the Messiah. And then in 70 AD, you know what happened. The temple was destroyed along with all the priests, so there couldn't be a sacrificial system anymore. And today, most Jews only practice in name. I mean, there's variations of Jewish belief. But for the most part, they're still waiting for the Messiah. They're still looking for Elijah to return. And we'll talk about that when we get to our time on that Thursday evening coming up at Easter. I think, beloved, the bottom line that the Lord is teaching us here is that there is no such thing as a stagnant person spiritually in the record book of God. There's no such thing as a stagnant person spiritually. In other words, if you, if you don't stay at one spot, you're either going to continue to grow one way or the other. You're going to decline, you're going to grow. That's how this spiritual life works. You either get more light, and those of you who are true believers know that to be true, don't you? The more you show up, the more you stick your head in the book, the more you're praying, the more you're looking for God, the more illumination you get. It's interesting, isn't it? But just the opposite happens as well. The less you seek, the less you pursue, even well-intentioned with life being just busy and not purposefully trying to neglect or deny the things of God, your spiritual life begins to decline. It's a basic principle here. It's a sowing-reaping principle. That makes sense why Jesus uses the parable? Here's what I'm talking about. Here's the seed, and we're going to talk about what, Jesus, what it all means next time. But the seed, the word of God goes out. Either people believe it or they don't. And God is simply saying, those who belong to me, I first enlighten their minds, and they respond to me. Now, you and I may not understand that fully. That's why it's a spiritual thing, and only God can do it. But God wants them to know, Jesus wants them to know that they are the blessed ones. And so he finishes this in verses 16 and 17. Notice he says, but after all of that, blessed are your eyes because they see, your ears hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and they didn't see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. In other words, 
Do you know how long, if I'm Jesus, this is what I hear him saying, do you know how long, how many centuries man has been looking for me to come? And you've got it. You you have everything given to you in an amazing way, something that you and I don't understand because we weren't in his presence. But we do have a tremendous blessing. And I could almost argue even a greater blessing than what the disciples had because we have the fulfillment of everything that Christ came to bring. So much so that he left us his Holy Spirit to know him. Paul said it this way, 1 Corinthians 2, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, capital S, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. In other words, Paul's saying to the people of the church, how do you think we know the things of God? Did we just conjure this up? No. It's revealed to us by the spirit, which is exactly what Jesus had said. Verse 13, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts and spiritual words. Paul knew that the only way to get real spiritual truth for you and me after Christ has gone is to have the Spirit of God living in us. The world looks at us, looks at you and me, and says that's foolishness. How could you ever believe such a thing? That's ridiculous. I'm not doing that. That's boring. It's dull. Who cares about that? Now, they may not use those words, but people reveal their words by their feet. You know what I mean? They prove what they really believe by their feet. In other words, they go the other direction, literally and figuratively. But because you and I have the Spirit of God, not only do we believe, but we've been given a responsibility. We are the under-shepherds. We're the ones who are to care and tend to not only our souls, but to tend to the souls of others. This is a challenging task. But the responsibility of God's people is to provide fresh water for those who are seeking thirst or who are thirsty. We have the message of life. We have the bread of life. We have the living waters living in us. And so as people who have been given dominion over his kingdom, but who also understand the truth, it is our role to go and share the truth with the world. Think about it, beloved. I hope you think deeply about this. I hope when you're sitting in your alone time or you're driving down the road, you process the truth that God in his divine grace has seen fit in his own mysterious way and his own divine choosing to open your mind to understand. That is a mind-blowing mystery and truth. But he did it. If you're here this morning, it's because either God is opening your heart to hear or he wants you to make a decision about something, or you're here because you know your heart's been opened, right? And you responded. That's what God is doing throughout all of this gospel. The gospel letters are about rescuing people. This chapter now begins the introduction for the rest of the chapter on what the kingdom of God is like. I simply titled it People of the Kingdom, part one. Okay. So ask yourself, 
Am I? Do I? Have I? And you can substitute any word you want to put in there. Do I believe? Have I seen? Do I hear? And if the answer is affirmative, and you believe these things to be true, then God says, then continue to move. Keep growing. Keep working. Keep obtaining truth. Because if you don't, then what you're really proving is there's a very high likelihood, and I'm not God, so God will have to determine this, but there's a very high likelihood you really don't belong to him in the first place. Which means there can only be darker and darker and darker worlds to come. And nobody wants that, right? Everybody, even if you don't agree with me, shake your head and just say, no, we don't agree with that. We don't, we don't want that. Okay? Just humor me a little bit. Make me feel better this morning. I mean, my son's getting married today. Okay? You just help me just feel better. Okay? All right. Okay. Can we pray together? Father, as we pause our hearts this morning just for a moment, it's good. It's good to do that. It's good because it's in those quiet moments that you, uh, you touch us. You remind us of things. You remind us of truth. Truth being, like we talked about this morning, that there is no stagnant person spiritually. We're either growing in light or we're growing in darkness. And I understand, Father, that all of us can play the game of being comfortable and, and, and we can think one way or the other. Uh, but the reality is the truth of your word teaches us there's only one or two ways to go. And so as much as we keep hearing this week after week after week, I think in a lot of ways we're no different in some ways than the people who were literally in front of you watching you do the miracle after miracle that you did. They saw with their eyes. They heard your voice. There was no denying in what you did, but yet somehow their heart was still so hardened. So Lord, we don't want to be like that. We want you to continue to open us, continue to grow us, continue to create in us the person that you want us to be. Use the circumstances that you ordain to cause that. The fun ones, the not so fun ones helping us to know that you love us first and foremost and you care about us and you want only what's best. Help us, Lord, not to listen to the lies from the enemy who will tell us, you know, you don't need that. You can take care of all this on your own. That's just a bunch of bunk. Whatever, he, whatever lie he spins, Lord, help us not to listen to that and help us to listen to truth. The truth that we know to be real in our hearts, there's no denying that. Every one of us knows that when something is real and genuine in our hearts, we, we can somehow affirm it. Sometimes we don't know how to use the words to affirm it, but we just, we just know. We just know when something's right. And Lord, it's, it's our prayer this morning that you would touch the heart that needs you most right now. The heart that is desperately searching and groping in the darkness. Trying to find some meaning and some purpose, some light of truth something that they can hold on to. Lord, I pray that the seed of your word this morning will go out and it will find good soil, the soil that's prepared by you and is ready to absorb the truth. And good and solid growth will come from it. 
Lord, rescue the lost, we pray, before it's too late. Don't let them to go into deeper and deeper darkness, but let them see the light of your truth. And so, Father, we praise you, we thank you, we honor you, and we glorify you, we magnify you, and we ask you to set our hearts on a higher plane even than they were today, tomorrow. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let everyone stand. Your love is amazing, steady and unchanging. Your love is a mountain firm beneath my feet. Your love is a mystery, how you gently lift me. When I am surrounded, your love carries me. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Father, we just thank you so much. Lord, your, your word does make us sing. You have given us assurance. Not just hope, but assurance. of If we claim you, if you are our Lord, we will one day see you. Lord, we just thank you so much for that. You give us hope as we live through this life that we will be able to share that with others. And that we will see our family members, like our brother Paul, one day we'll see him again as well and be able to greet him. So, Lord, until that day when we meet you face to face, we ask for your blessings on us. In your son's name, amen.